Hello and welcome to Backchat, your weekly guide to the news and current affairs and the best on the radio, I believe. I'm Ariel Bogle. I'm Osman Fruki and it's great to be back for 2018. Absolutely. Did you have a good summer, Ariel? I did indeed. I think, um, you know, I didn't get enough work. I didn't get enough holiday, actually. It was mostly work, I would say. That's really boring. I said this before. (laughs) I don't want to hear about you working over summer. That's not what the listeners want to hear. Slave to the wage. Want to hear about all the fun, exciting times. But... Politics took a bit of a holiday in twenty in you know over over summer between 2017 and 2018, but it's back. It's back with a vengeance. There's a lot going on, and uh, listeners of the show will be familiar with the fact that we had a bit of a meme in 2017 that every week there was new citizenship drama. Another politician running afoul of section 40. Uh, The the bit in the constitution that says that you can't be a dual citizen if you want to be a federal MP. And we thought we left all of that behind. But no. We really didn't. The first political crisis of 2018 was David Finney, Labour MP for Batman. He ran afoul of the law. He, turns out, was a British citizen through his father, who I think was born in Northern Ireland. And he said that he renounced his citizenship but then when the High Court asked him to provide documents proving it, he couldn't find them. He said he lost those papers. That's right. um, and rather than wait for an adverse finding from the court, he decided to just quit and, and force a by-election. So already, Parliament has sat for maybe two weeks so far this year. We've already got the first political resignation, the first citizenship scandal, and the first by-election will be happening on March 17th. It's, it's, you know, it's fun and games all over again. The circus is back, and <laughs> I, for one, am definitely here for it. Speaking of circuses, I guess we can't let a week go by without talking about Barnaby. Um, I'll make the the worst pun that everybody's been making, Barnaby. Barnaby. He's gone. Bye-bye, Barnaby. As Deputy Prime Minister, Barnaby Joyce is out. What's happened, Ariel? Why is he gone? What what's this? What what drama has afflicted our friend <laughs> Barnaby? I haven't heard much about it. No, if if you've been living under a rock, um, our mate Barnaby, of course, um, the Daily Telegraph a few weeks ago now published pictures of a former staffer of his, pregnant, yes, with Barnaby's child, and that's kicked off a huge <gasps> debate, not just about Barnaby himself and whether he. I suppose is fit has been the question to be deputy PM and the leader of the National Party, but also I guess about ethics in Australian media. Is it okay to talk about the sex lives of politicians? Yeah. So the story started out as a as a pretty kind of standard scandalous thing, like Barnaby Joyce in an affair with his staffer. Staffer gets pregnant. Oh my God! Everyone freaks out. This is crazy. He's a deputy prime minister. My main question was like, damn, son, like, how do you manage that? Like, just time-wise, because being (laughs) deputy prime minister is quite difficult. Being married and raising four kids is pretty difficult. But doing all of that together whilst holding down an affair, like, you know, that that takes significant time management. But the scandal kind of evolved, didn't it? It didn't just become about Barnaby um, and, and, and the affair. There were all these suggestions that maybe his new partner had improperly been given jobs and other ministerial offices. Then people started going through travel records and it just kind of went from one thing to another. Yeah, and it and it ended up that yesterday he decided during his week off to take some time to reflect. Oh yeah, so he took so so hang on, I just want to backtrack and, and, and analyze this bit for a second because the scandal blew up. There were kind of like media and members of the public calling for Barnaby Joyce to resign. He refused to resign, and then everyone said, Well, this is gonna be a bit awkward next week because Malcolm Turnbull's going to America, which means that Barnaby as deputy prime minister is going to be the acting prime minister. 
And it's going to be very strange every time he does a press conference, every time he tries to talk about policy issues, journalists are just going to ask him about this affair and the political consequences from it. So Malcolm Turnbull and Barnaby Joyce had a meeting and they decided that Barnaby Joyce would go on a holiday for a week to Armadale. His holiday ended up involving three press conferences, two doorstop interviews. Yeah, a, a beautiful uh, little photo shoot where he put a tea towel around his neck. <laughs> yeah, he invited journalists into his house. Um, and he... Never put a tea towel around your neck. Yeah. They're, fil- they're really filthy, honestly. It really looked like... It's worth looking at this photo shoot. It's in Fairfax in the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, it looks like... So he has a washing machine in his house. Sorry, a dishwasher. Mm. But he's like hand-washing dishes. Yeah. But it's like he's never done it before. Like he's draped himself in a tea towel... He he looks like he looks like a barman. He looks like Mo from The Simpsons, like trying to like clean glasses. And I just want to get go back a little bit in history. Can we remember when Julia Gillard gave an interview in her home and was photographed with a fruit bowl that was empty? Sans fruit. Sans fruit, and that was taken to symbolise, I don't know, the barrenness of her womb, <laughs> according to conservatives. And yet Barnaby Joyce can't use a tea towel, doesn't know how to use a dishwasher. Yeah. You know, he's just a roundabout guy. I guess he did lose. Like the standard, the standard for um for being a man, it's just like, all right, Barnaby, we want to make you look homely. Let's just get you like drying off some glasses in your yeah, sink, the right. bare minimum. Um, anyway, we could talk about the photo shoot for a long time, but you did have um uh, a bigger point to make, Ariel, about the fact that he was on this holiday, mm. and then yesterday, what happened? He resigned. We he's stepping back from deputy prime ministership, and as the leader of the Nats, which of course has kicked off a leadership race within the National Party itself. It's kind of a parade of whomst and who's. (laughs) There's not a lot of big stars, I suppose, within the National Party. The two people that have thrown their hats in the ring so far are the MPs, Michael McCormack and David Gillespie. Whom? Whom? Whomst and who. Whom and whom Hmm. and who. There actually are some bigger name Nats. Um, There's, of course, Darren Chester who's made a pretty good name for himself. He was in Cabinet last year and also Bridget McKenzie. But... Neither of them in the, are in the running. Why is that, Oz? So the party room meeting the Nationals will hold will be on Monday when they're back in Canberra. There were some suggestions that if Barnaby Joyce didn't resign, there may be a leadership spill brought against him by a guy called Andrew Broad, another whom. Um, then there was another MP, Lou O'Brien, whom. <laughs> like every time in this story, there's <laughs> there's a, a National MP comes out of the woodwork. I'm like, did these guys run the country? Like, I've, I, I, It's my job to know them. Yep. And I'm happy to admit that I, I do not. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. So Bridget McKenzie has been the deputy leader of the Nationals for the last little while. She replaced Fiona Nash, who herself was also kicked out of parliament for citizenship <laughs> drama. Um, she is considered to be like a pretty good operator and has a pretty solid profile, yep. but she just never is really in the mix for the lead- for the leadership. And whether that's to do with her being from Victoria and the Nationals, um, a very state-based organization. So the Victorian uh, representation in the federal party room is pretty minimal. So that's one of the reasons given for why Darren Chester and, and Bridget McKenzie might not be considered. But there seems to be like a pretty significant and clear gendered element to it as well. Yeah, I would yeah, I wouldn't say there was not. Although that the strength of the Nats in Queensland, New South Wales for, you know, almost a century now, I suppose, um, has always dominated the leadership for the Nats. So. That's true. It's, it, there was um, The Parliamentary Library just updated its statistics on gender balance within all the political parties and um, kind of had the Greens and Labor. You know, I think the Greens actually have a, a majority of their MPs are mm. women. Um, Labor is like 45, 55 um, ma- female to male. But the Nationals have got 21 federal MPs, I think, and I believe two of them are women and 19 of them. Amen. 
That's why, you know, there are no women in the country, mate. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> um, so we don't know who's going to emerge as the new... The, like we all, the only thing we know for sure is that the next deputy prime minister of this country is going to be someone no one has ever really heard of before. Mm. But just to add some more drama onto the, onto the mix, so there's Michael McCormack, who uh, most recently was in the press during the same-sex marriage plebiscite because it turned out that he wrote an extremely homophobic column when he was a newspaper editor in the late 80s. So, yeah, that's that's exciting. Um, and David Gillespie, who's the member for um, uh, Line? Is that? Yeah, it's Line on the Mid-North Coast where Rob Oakeshott used to hold the seat. He is himself in the midst of a court dispute about his eligibility to remain in Parliament. Not to do with citizenship, but to do with the fact that he owns, like, a shopping centre in the town of Port Macquarie, Lighthouse Beach, great town, 2444 represent. Uh, he His shopping centre, um, like, one of his tenants is the post office, which is a federal government ah. agency. So there's a clause in the constitution that says you're, you can't be an MP if you're a dual citizen. Yep. There's, a, there's a clause right after that one that says you also can't be a federal MP if you hold an office of profit under the crown or you profit from the federal government, basically. So there's a, uh, allegations, I think, from the Labour candidate in line of, the, of that time. He says that, well, uh, David Gillespie is being paid rent by the federal government, basically. So he's probably not going to be eligible. But we'll see what happens. Like, there's still a lot, way, long way to go in that court case. But Things it'd are be, looking good for the Nats, I no, guess. No, it'd be extraordinary if they voted for him <laughs> and then he got kicked out of parliament. So, you know... This is all really interesting. Love a little internats debate, but I want to cast <laughs> is our it minds. Is it interesting? <laughs> I want to cast our mind to higher things, matters of philosophy. Yeah, all right. Because I think Barnaby. Maybe someone's been watching the Good Place. Yes, I think huh. Barnaby feels a little hard done by in all this. This is him at his presser yesterday. I mean, that's not who we are. I thought that's not who we are in Australia. That's that's not the kind of people we are. I'm the public figure. Go after me. That's 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 what I get paid for. So that, of course, is Barnaby saying that the media should lay off his one-time staffer, now partner, baby mother, Mm. Vicky Campion. (laughs) Baby mother. (laughs) So basically... (laughs) No one has ever said that phrase before. Baby mama. Um, So, of course, last week, Malcolm Turnbull also made an announcement pertaining to the sex lives of politicians. From now on, it is not allowed that a politician would have an affair or any sexual relations with a staffer. But this raises a bigger question, and that is, is the sex life of a politician fair game now to the media? Is this something we should be covering with um, equal vigour as, you know, the citizenship debate? Yeah, it's a good question. And when the Barnaby Joyce scandal broke, that was certainly, you know, the defence brought up by him and people around him. This is my personal issue. It's got nothing to do with the public, it's got nothing with politics. Then when people put forward the suggestions that perhaps his new partner Vicky Campion had been given jobs and the and that and the, the handing out of those jobs breached the ministerial code of conduct, that then made it, I guess, a public issue. But what's more interesting is now that Malcolm Turnbull has updated the ministerial code of conduct and the standards and said any minister caught having an affair with their staff or not even an affair, just having any kind of sexual relationship with their staff, even if they're both single and consenting, blah, 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 they will be fired. So that's kind of given the green light to journalists, I think, because it's now a matter of public interest. Mm -hmm. There are rules, and it's partly the responsibility of journalists to make sure politicians follow those rules. So whether we... I mean, I expect we will see more stories about this. I'm not sure whether it's a good thing or not. Like, I think what's interesting is... My personal view is that why people got so worked up about the Barnaby Joyce situation 
was not really about the affair, but just people hate politicians and politics so much right now. They don't see it delivering for them. Right. And that makes politicians more susceptible to these kinds of campaigns. It's just like, we want you all gone. We think you're all trash. Yeah. And we will jump on anything we can to, to you know, achieve that goal, basically. Well, a lot of people were saying, you know, it's not just about the affairs you mentioned. It's about um, allegations that she got cushy jobs within other cabinet ministers' offices because of her position as his partner I suppose um, there's also the question of whether why they were living rent free in a um, in a house in Armadale etc mm, mm. and I wonder I mean I'm really sympathetic to you know if those allegations are borne out I want to know about that mm. but at the same time sometimes I feel like we dress up our sort of more purient curiosities about who people are sleeping with and want to make it a bit more honourable and sort of cloak it in these bigger debates about corruption. Or yeah, we can talk. We, we get to talk about like, but sex, but we, pretend it's about corruption. Ultimately, we like to gossip, and I, totally. like, that's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's interesting because like, obviously if this applies to like the celeb world, mm. everyone's like, this is fair game. No one questions whether like you're allowed to talk about who celebs are sleeping with or having right. affairs with. Politicians like, are obviously not like, I'm loath to like compare them to celebrities, but <laughs> they are figures that are in the public domain quite a lot. Mm. And in fact, in some ways, like, it's probably more important we know what they're up to, given that they want our vote every three years and they decide everything about how this country is run. True. I wouldn't want us to slide anywhere close to the um, uh, puritanism, I suppose, of American politics, where sex lives like, can really end a career. But one thing that has come up over and over in America, and that is kind of coming up around the Barnaby debate too, is the matter of hypocrisy. Mm. So, of course... Barnaby was not pro-same-sex marriage. And in the past, he said things about the role of women or he came out against the um, vaccination that would prevent cervical cancer in women, suggesting that perhaps it would make women promiscuous. Mm. Things like this. And yet in his own life, he was promiscuous. Yeah, so yeah, totally. what are we meant to do with that hypocrisy? Are we meant to just let that slide or are we meant to throw some light on it in the media? I mean, that that's another example of something like, you know, a lot of people defended the reporting of the Barnaby Joyce story along those exact lines. They're like, well, he campaigned against same-sex marriage. He, I don't think, voted for it. He abstained from it in the end. That's right. Um, and because he said he believed in the traditional family unit. Well, that's obviously garbage. Like, you know, that his own actions don't match up with his values and the kind of thing that he wanted to enforce on the rest of society. So there is, like, obviously that hypocritical argument to be made, that argument around hypocrisy. But at the same time, you know, the point you made before, Ariel, is do we just come up with excuses because we want to talk about people having sex? Mm. Um, and the Daily Telegraph this week published a story about a New South Wales minister having an affair um, with another New South Wales Liberal MP. There wasn't even any suggestion of hypocrisy there or of um, breaches of ministerial standards. So maybe this is just the brave new world and we're going to find out way too much information about politicians. Yeah. Oh, well. I never really <laughs> wanted to know much about Barnaby's sex life, to be honest. But here we are. We just spent... 15 minutes talking about it. There you go. <laughs> so next up, we're going to be chatting about the aftermath of the most recent school shooting in America. Of course, this was the um, shooting that left 17 dead in Florida at Stoneman Douglas High School. But what's happened in the aftermath has been really interesting and honestly, pretty, pretty inspiring. But first, we've got Sam for the Great with Blue Boss. Every single person up here today all these people should be at home grieving. But instead, we are up here, standing together, because if all our government and president can do is send thoughts and prayers, then it's time for victims to be the change that we need to see. 
Damn, that was Emma Gonzalez. She's a student at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, where on February 14th, Valentine's Day, just just over a week ago, 17 people were shot dead, largely students and and, and, um, co-students of Emma's, just friends of hers in class. She's become the face of the Never Again movement. It's a group of teenagers from that school who... When the school shooting started happening, they were tweeting, they were Snapchatting, they were posting Instagram stories of it in real time. And it was one of the first instances of, I can remember, of, of, I guess, the world watching that kind of violence and horror play out on social media. They then pivoted that social media um, campaign into one calling for gun control. And it was the first time we've really seen the victims of gun control, particularly young victims, so quickly mobilize and call for action and say, hey, we don't want this to ever happen again. And they've since been locking horns with conservative politicians, the NRA, and demanding change. Their movement has become pretty coherent. There's a really interesting BuzzFeed profile that looks at how they're planning their actions. There's a big rally happening on March 24th um, called the the March for Our Lives, and they've attracted the attention of big-name celebs as well. So Oprah, George Clooney, Steven Spielberg, Amal Clooney, a few others have chipped in, I think, like half a million dollars each. So this is rapidly becoming the biggest social movement in America of the moment. Yeah, that's right. And interestingly, too, the students only a week out from this dramatic shooting, which I'm sure they're still processing, you know, personally, Mm. they're already able to turn that um, activism into like really clear uh, goals. For one, they wanted a lot of companies to drop their ties to the National Rifle Association, National, what is it? National National Rifle Rifle Association. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they've already got companies like Hertz, the car company, Best Western, Wyndham Hotels, the insurer Chubb to drop their ties, which is pretty impressive. And this is all really playing out on Twitter, Mm. interestingly. The teens are good at Twitter. We already knew this, but they're also good at activism on Twitter. I think um, we shouldn't be that surprised, although it seems like a lot of commentators and a lot of conservatives in the US are really pushing back on that. They're really angry that this is happening because obviously gun it's not the first time gun control has been debated in the US, but it does seem to be very different. And I think that partly has to do with the charisma the energy and the drive of these teens, yeah, like particularly so someone like Emma. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. There are a lot of people uh, making tweets about how, you know, what you expected kids to read books like The Hunger Games and not take that seriously <laughs> and not organize themselves to, you know, throw the ruling classes down a cliff and, and, and rebuild right. society in their image. Um, it's It's been really interesting, but they have been meeting some resistance. So there was this big town hall meeting that CNN hosted last week between some advocates for gun control and conservative senator for the Republican, Republicans, Marco Rubio, who uh, failed and failed in his last run for president. But he's pretty staunch on gun control, as again, in terms of opposing gun control. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's quite impressive. Um, and a lot of people are shocked by the savviness and ability to think on their feet, I suppose, of these students. Let's listen to part of the debate. Senator Rubio, can you tell me right now that you will not accept a single donation from the NRA in the future? So, number one, the positions I hold on these issues of the Second Amendment, I've held since the day I entered office in the city of West Miami as an elected official. Number two, no, the answer to the question is that people buy into my agenda. And I do support the Second Amendment. And I also support the right of you and everyone here to be able to go to school and be safe. And I do support any law that would keep guns out of the hands of a deranged killer. Can I just mention a great tweet about Rubio? Yeah. It's from Sarah Chadwick, one of the survivors of the shooting and also one of the activists. She tweeted, 
We should change the name of AR-15s to Marco Rubio because they are so easy to buy. Damn! Damn, girl! Boom! Pew, pew, pew! <laughs> so good. That was an air horn, not a gun. Was, um, <laughs> AR-15s are the, the kind of most common assault rifle, I think, in the US, or semi-automatic rifle that are often modified. I think there was a modified one used in the Las Vegas shooting mm. towards the end of last year, and I think it was a weapon used this time. And, I, and there's an interesting thing about the US gun control debate that I find perplexing, and maybe you have some insight having lived in the States area, is... Even if you don't want every gun to be banned, right? Even though you've got Second Amendment and like maybe people should have handguns to use for whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't really agree with that. But let's say that you want to put yourself in the, in their mind. Why do you need to have assault rifles um, to be able to be purchased, you know, in corner shops? How does that work out? It doesn't make sense. I think if you look for logic in the conservative gun position, you won't find any. It's a sort of religious belief now in the ability mm. to own in the ability to own any kind of weapon that you want. I don't think you're going to find logic. Um, even the right to bear arms that is in the American Constitution speaks nothing of, you know, guns that can fire off a thousand rounds a second. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This is not mentioned <laughs> by the forefathers, the yeah. builders of the American Constitution. So I think that's... It'll be really interesting to see how this plays out in the long term. There's a lot of energy here. It's really inspiring. These kids are killing it. However... You know, we've seen some of this before. Of mm. course, there was the shooting in Newtown, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, which left five-year-olds dead. Mm. And even five-year-olds from Connecticut, you know, they weren't even... I mean, let's not beat around the bush. They weren't children of colour. They weren't black kids. They were little white kids. You'd think that would finally seize the conservative, the Republicans on guns, but mm. it really did nothing. And you think if that didn't do anything, what will? And even now, even though we're talking about this new movement led by the school kids and how it's had some wins, politically it's kind of still hitting that same stalemate. Like mm. Donald Trump this week's response... Man, like... I... <laughs> I'm the teachers. <laughs> I'm the teachers. Can you here. imagine? I had a um, shout-out to Mr. G, the real Mr. G, yeah. my history teacher. Yeah. He was great. He inspired me to love history. I would be terrified if, if he you had, had a gun. gun. Totally. I had a really weird English teacher, and I mean, he was a strange guy. I don't want him to have a gun. Like, what? Well, you know, he, he didn't like me. He kicked me out of class most times. Um, but yeah, Trump seriously thinks that rather than trying to stop guns getting into schools, there should be more guns in schools, and the government should arm and train teachers to become sharpshooters right. to protect students in this sort of crisis situation. But kind of tragically, what's emerged since Trump made that announcement is that, you know, a lot of schools in America do have armed security guards. That's right. Post-Columbine, I think. And there was an armed security guard at this school, Stoneman Douglas High, but he kind of bolted yeah, when it all kicked off. Yeah, he did not go back into the school when the shooting began. So yeah. It just, it didn't play out. And, you know, I'm I'm loath to come down morally on a guy I know nothing about. Um, and Trump, I think, is really out of line to criticize this guy, Trump, who... Made up, like, draft. He had like bone spurs. That's yeah, why he yeah, couldn't yeah. go to Vietnam. The rich person's excuse for not going to uh, Vietnam. Yeah. Let he who is without sins. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing. There's a lot of studies that show that people, even soldiers, really struggle when push comes to shove to pull that trigger and to yeah, take someone's life. You're taking a life. And can you imagine a, a teacher armed watching a student they've known since the kid was 10 hmm. coming towards them and having to make the decision to shoot them? And, and expecting them to somehow be such perfect shots that they can somehow take down an attacker and not have any collateral damage in the process. Like that, anyway, it, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, good luck to the teens. Hopefully they'll overthrow Donald Trump and yeah, establish a, they're, a socialist They're doing republic. so well right now, so yeah. more power to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's pretty dark. Let's just lighten the mood a bit <laughs> um, at the end of our show with a bit of back chat roulette. Woohoo! 
What do you got for us, Ariel? So, this has been on Netflix, I think, for a little while now. It's the documentary Icarus. Have you seen this? I have not. Is it about Icarus? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. So, in the wake of the Winter Olympics, um, I have been fascinated with this story about Russian doping for a long time. Mm. And, of course, if you watch any of the Winter Olympics, you would have seen that no Russian athletes were participating, only athletes from Russia, mm. which is a great So, Russia's banned from the Winter Olympics. They are because of all the doping that went on at Sochi and beyond. Right, right. Um, although a athlete from Russia um, who was a curling oh, yeah. champion just got done for doping too. Like Yeah, what? yeah, I saw that. What are you, what are you doping in curling? Yeah. What got is, to sweep that I ice mean, real hard. Maybe some little study drugs for yeah, extra yeah. concentration. I'm not sure. Any case, Icarus is a great documentary. It starts out with a guy who um, is really obsessed with the Lance Armstrong doping that hit the cycling world a few years ago. Yep. He wants to see if he himself can pass drug tests and dope at the same time. He's a sort of amateur cyclist. Starts out with this. He's looking for a guy to coach him through his doping regime. And he gets introduced to this Russian dude. Mm. Turns out the Russian dude is the doping tester for the whole Russian athlete, like athletics, the, the Olympic team, essentially. As it goes on, turns out the guy is the mastermind behind the Sochi no doping way. regime. Is this that is a where, spoiler? This is where Are you they... spoiling this documentary telling us all to watch? Well, I'm just... No, no, no. <laughs> this is the key. This is where it really kicks sure, in. Sure, sure. And I'll let, I'll let the documentary take it from there. But I really recommend it because the ultimate, like, oh, I'm watching it, you know, think something about mm. Lance Armstrong and suddenly you're in the midst of, like, FBI, like, undercover. Like, it goes real good. Damn, that's awesome. Um, this is a total aside, but you mentioned curling, and I learned a weird fact about curling this week. Oh, yeah. So curling is that sport, if you're not familiar, where people kind of like push a big uh, stone down some ice, and then you know two people sweep at it furiously to try and get it far and into the spot. Yep. So it turns out every single curling stone comes from the same mountain in Scotland. What? So it's not just like some generic stone you just get somewhere. Every single curling stone has been removed from this island in Scotland, from this mountain. What are the special qualities of this stone? I don't know. It's just like some kind of granite, I believe. And that's um, that's where it comes from. Anyway, that's that's a cool fact about curling. Um, you didn't think they existed, but they do. I don't know if that's a cool <laughs> fact. It's a fact. It is it's, a fact. It's um, cool. um, my, my roulette is Black Panther. Kind of uh, everything about Black Panther. So, um, really interesting Marvel film that came out. Obviously, uh, it's smashed box office records and ignited enormous amounts of debate on all sides of the political spectrum. Um, I kind of think there's not enough you can read about this. So, uh, I would strongly encourage everyone to read as many takes on it as they can, particularly from people of color and particularly um, black writers. But there's one in particular I wanted to shout out. It was in the New Yorker last week by Jelani Cobb. It's called Black Panther and the Invention of Africa. Mm, read- it's just a really, really interesting not even analysis, but just perspective on the context around the film uh, and the the idea of the term African-American and what it really means and how African-Americans struggle to reconcile their contested and tense kind of histories. But it is like a bit of an ode to the film. He's very pro the film, but it explores a lot of the issues that get a little bit of a surface mm. level reading in the movie. And he just kind of goes a lot deeper. And I think you could learn a lot about contemporary America, contemporary Africa and the histories by giving that piece a read. Yeah, there's another good one I'll shout out to in The Atlantic by Adam Server about, um, well, I won't spoil the film, but the character Eric Kulmunga mm. is a really complex character and he's got a really interesting um, historical perspective on that character too. Yeah, awesome. Can I make one complaint about Black Panther? Of course you can. Why wasn't more of the Kendrick... Album, album songs in it. Yeah, in yeah, the film. yeah. Oh, we should have bumped. We should have bumped one of those tracks I today. Know, I know. So yeah, the album that um, preceded the film by a few days is amazing. Yeah, uh, but it, only one track. Oh no, two tracks. Two tracks from it are actually yeah. in the film. It so was my favorite one though, the one with Vince Staples and 
um, and Kendrick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. So you can listen to that album on the way to the cinema and on the way oh, home. Oh, it's a good one. Extra, extra backtrack roulette we snuck in listening <laughs> to the album. So thanks for listening along with us. We have to shout out our technical producer, Amelia Zhu, and our EP, Natty. A Natalie. brand new. Yes. A brand new EP, Natalie Sekolovska. Thanks for joining the team. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Oh, there's a language warning on this one. Slim set, cooked, get on it. Their EP's <laughs> dropped. It's rad. See you later, everyone.